0: Well, good morning again. I tell you, it's not as easy of a job as you might think telling people to stand up and sit down. Uh, But if I tell you to stop, drop, and roll, I think we should all just head for the doors because uh, I'm just going to call it at that point. So I have a special announcement to make this morning. I am a fully functioning adult. At least that's what I tell myself every morning when I look in the mirror. You can do this. You're a grown man. Get it together, chog. And as a grown man, I like to think that I kind of have it together. Like I've got a plan of what I want to do in life and at least some vague idea of how to get there. I know where I am on the roadmap and I know what I want to do next. I think that's kind of what it means to be an adult, right? Something like that? So, for example, I know approximately how much we have in savings for retirement. That's point A. And I know point B where I want to go is this is how much you're supposed to have saved up for retirement when you get to retirement age, right? So, I know point A and I know point B. How do I get there, right? How do I get, how do I move from from here to there? Starting point and destination are clear, but everything in between is kind of fuzzy, and isn't that just true for so much of life? I mean, think about it, if, if you're a, a young single adult, you know at some point you would like to to get married, right? Okay, so you got your point A? You know, I get to point B. How do I get there? A little bit unclear, right? Uh, if you are in that boat, a little pro tip, farmersonly.com. cannot recommend it. Highly enough, that's all I'll say. This, Sermon brought to you by FarmersOnly.com. Or maybe you're in the second half of your life. You've experienced some big transitions lately, and you're still kind of figuring it out. Your purpose has changed. You know where you are. You know where you want to be. But again, how you get there, it's a little bit unclear. Or if you're someone like me who just hates asking for directions, and every time you set out on a family trip... You feel like Bilbo running out of the house screaming, we're going on another adventure. Clueless how you're going to get there, but don't worry, family. We'll get there despite all of your, your weird advice about using an actual map or asking for directions. You know where you are. You know where you're going. Everything in between, uh, well, we'll kind of figure that out along the way. We're at point A. We know we want to get to point B, but everything in between is, is kind of up in the air. Does this sound familiar to anyone else? Yeah? Uh, If so, you're not alone, and today we're going to hear about God's call to Abraham. And what we're going to discover is that Abraham is in the exact same boat as us. So with that, I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and we'll have it displayed on the screen here so you can follow along as well. And let's rise this morning for the reading of God's word. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, Abraham, same person, by the way, his his name changes later to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Uh, The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak tree of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an, offer, an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east and there he built an altar to the lord and called upon the name of the lord and abram journeyed on still going toward the Negeb. let's pray god we thank you for your word we thank you that we never have to doubt that you are going to speak to us because your word is trustworthy and it's reliable and and you are a god who always keeps his promises i pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning god you know in which condition Each person here shows up as, God, you know which of us are discouraged. You know which of us are rejoicing. But, Father, you know most of all what we all need, and that is the law and the gospel. We need to have ourselves and our great needs exposed to you so that you can pour on the healing balm of the gospel. Speak to our hearts now, God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. There's a whole lot of names and places and things that I mentioned as I read through the text, so um, I have a map I wanted to show you here. I don't know if we have it in the slides or not, but it's helpful to have some sort of a, a visual. Maybe I missed that one. I just missed that one. You guys can blame Stan. Stan just, man, can't get together, man. <laughs> that's all right. Um, but it gives, it'll give you some idea. A lot of your Bibles will have these. But Abram and his family, they started out in this area known as Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, that's where kind of the original family homestead was. And this would have been in, somewhere around the, the modern-day uh, nation-state of Iraq. And so what they do is they pick up From there, and they head up north to this place called Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey. This would have been a journey of around 700 miles. And when they get to Haran, this is where Abram's father, Terah, actually dies. And it's at this point here in Haran that our text picks up this morning. This is where God gets hold of Abraham. This is where the call happens. Abram and his family are all there in Haran, which is well outside of, of the promised land. So, Abram gets the call. He obeys and he journeys to Shechem, which is in the modern day West Bank of Palestine. And that leg of the journey would have been another 500 miles or so. From Shechem to, to Bethel, I is just 30 miles to the south. And from there, he traveled still further south and west toward the Negev Desert, southwest of the Dead Sea. So, that's kind of just a, a snapshot of Abraham's journeys there. Now, Maybe you noticed this as we were reading it, but God didn't print out a Google map, highlight the route, hand it to Abraham, and said, all right, here's where you're headed. Here's where you're starting. Here's, here's where you're going to go. Oh, and by the way, make sure to try the the falafel at Ashish's in Damascus. Like, here's all the best pit stops you're going to make along the way. He didn't do that. Um... God didn't tell him how long the journey would be, what to expect, how far the next rest stop was, or even what obstacles he was supposed to expect or how to overcome them. Now, when Abraham did finally arrive at Shechem in the promised land, uh, there was this thing that, that happened where the Lord appeared to him, and, and, and God did Make this promise and say, "Hey, this land, this land of Canaan. This is where uh, this is the land I'm going to give to you and your descendants. This is going to be the promised land that they will inherit." So he he knew ultimately that that is the destination, right? But still, there is so much that's unclear here. Like, when is that going to happen? God didn't set out a timeline. Are we talking years, decades, centuries? And after all, this land was inhabited, so Abram couldn't just move in there and put down stakes and start building. How was that going to work out? Another unforeseen obstacle. So how would, it, how would it work? Abraham knew where he was, where he was going, but pretty much everything else was hidden. And the journey of Abraham is our journey through the faith as well. That's where where we're headed this morning. And with that in mind, I want to double-click on a a couple important parts of Abraham's call. And and as we do this, what we're going to learn is that in the way that God calls Abraham, God calls us as well. So three distinct things I want us to, to note here. God calls Abraham, number one, to go, number two, into unfamiliar territory, and number three to be a blessing. God calls Abraham to go into unfamiliar territory to be a blessing. And he calls us individually and as a church in these ways too. You maybe notice this, but when God calls people in Scripture, there's this pattern of how he, he calls them from where they're at and tells them to go somewhere else. Right? He, t- he talks to Jonah. He says, arise and, and go to Nineveh. When he calls the prophet Isaiah, he, he tells him, go. He uses this exact word. When Jesus sends his disciples out to preach and teach, he's telling them to go. So there's, there's something about the life of discipleship that's always like dynamic and never static. Disciples of Jesus never seem to sit still for very long. When we read through the New Testament, and he tells this to Abraham this morning in, in, in his, his commission, his calling of him. He says, Go. And we have a name in our day and age for these people who go, these people who are sent. What do we call them? Missionaries, exactly. Missionaries. Abram, in a sense, was really the very first missionary. I love what one Old Testament scholar says about this passage. He says, The Bible is a missionary guide. Concerned with bringing salvation to all the families of the earth. The Bible is a missionary guide. This thing from from Genesis to Revelation is a missionary guide. And just like God calls Abram to go, he calls us to go as well. Each and every one of us here today who is a believing child of God is called to be his missionary where we live, work, and play. I am God's missionary. Can you say that with me right now? I am God's missionary. Now, this is a challenge for us because historically speaking, the church has been better at staying put than going. Uh, We're better at inviting people into the four walls of the church for our potlucks. Don't get me wrong. I love a good potluck. Give me my plate of jello pudding and I will put the rest of you to shame. Uh, we're good at that. What's more of a challenge is reaching out alongside and doing ministry alongside of unchurched people, rubbing shoulders with sinners the way Jesus did, coming alongside them in the midst of their messy lives, showing up for them, loving them, showing compassion, investing in long term relationships, and actually like building trust. That's harder, isn't it? Because that takes time. That takes investment. It takes work. It takes me moving out of my comfort zone, and it's super messy. And, guys, let me be honest with you I am an introvert, okay? Every Sunday morning for half an hour, I save up all of my words throughout the week. And I cram them into the sermon. Then I don't have to talk the rest of the week. Right, honey? Let the record show she is nodding. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, but like I, I'm an introvert, and I don't like moving out of my comfort zone. But daily, I find myself convicted. Jesus doesn't call me to stay in my comfort zone, but to go out of it, to, to regularly stretch myself, because the stakes are too high not to. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Most church ministry is going to happen between Monday and Saturday. Between Monday and Saturday. That's when the bulk, that's when the lion's share of of church ministry is actually going to happen. In your homes, in your places of work, at school, at practice, in the community, at the coffee shop. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, he's saying, like, as you are going, he's sort of assuming that you're going to be out and about doing your thing in life. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? At your places of work, at school, at practice, out in the community, at the coffee shop. That's where we move from knowing God's Word to doing God's Word. An important distinction from from just knowing and understanding God's Word to actually doing God's Word. To sharing the love of Jesus and the good news of the gospel with our unreached neighbors. Where you live, play, and work, wherever you spend most of your time, Like, that's actually your primary mission field. If we are God's missionaries, that is our mission field. I am God's missionary. And man, we like routine, don't we? We love regularity. I like my cushion on the couch, the same one, every time, my remote right here, I can pull up the same shows that I've watched for years and that always bring me comfort. We like things to stay the same, but God challenges our tendency to remain fixed in the stagnancy of our own comfort zones. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, God calls the fixed ones into pilgrimage. God calls the fixed ones, a.k.a. us, into pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. So that's point number one. God calls Abram to go. Number two, into unfamiliar territory. So, verse one, again, just to review, we could do a whole series on just this one verse. Verse one says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Leave your country, leave your home, leave your family. Leave everything familiar and comfortable behind and follow me to who knows where to do who knows what. I got to tell you, if I read an ad in the classifieds that said that, I would be like, hard paths, please and thank you. Uh, I'm good. (laughs) I don't need any more change in my life. I don't need uncertainty. I like things the way they are. But I want you to listen to what Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says about this. I think this is a really powerful insight. He says, faith demands a ruthless abandonment of the past. Abraham has to leave the consolation of familiarity and tradition far behind. He has to jettison his family, his homeland, and the old ways of worship. And listen to this, but this abandonment leads to his fulfillment. Sometimes we get nostalgic about the past, don't we? I I know I do. Many of you know I grew up on a farm in northern Minnesota, and my dad, he farmed part-time, but his full-time job was at a feed manufacturing plant in Gonvick, Minnesota. Anybody from Gonvick in the house? Didn't think so. (laughs) So his truck always smelled like feed. I got to work there a couple summers, and I loved the the smell of, of feed. There's something about it. Whenever I got into Dad's truck... I always knew what to expect. There was going to be the smell of feed. And to this day, whenever I get just a whiff of it, it takes me back to my childhood because that's what I remember. It makes me, makes me think of my dad. We love our memories. We cling to them. Even though research has shown that our memories aren't always accurate, we tend to remember the good and leave out the bad. We tend to see the past through rose-colored lenses, We cling to it, and sometimes we cling to it a little too much. We like the way we've always done things, so we resist the pain of change required to go somewhere new, somewhere different. We all do this. It's a human thing. And God knows that. So why would He call Abraham to leave his past behind, a past that was surely full of heartfelt memories and meaningful traditions? Well, because he wanted Abraham's undivided love. You see, God knows how easily the past can become an idol, something that vies with God for our allegiance. So, obvious next question. How do I know that I'm doing this? How, how do I know if nostalgia in my past has come, become kind of this unhealthy source of happiness for me? Well, if your reason for continuing to operate in certain ways is because that's the way I've always done it, that might be a sign that your love for the past rivals your love for God. That's hard to hear. And I know it because I do it and I've done it. But the journey of faith involves going into unfamiliar territory. It means pressing into uncertainty rather than avoiding it, as uncomfortable as that may be. But here's the thing, when that actually happens, when we loosen our grip on the familiarity of the past, the stronger our grip on the God of the future will be. Faith, as the author of Hebrews says, is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And the truth is, there's no room for faith if we never venture into unfamiliar territory. God calls Abram to go into unfamiliar territory, finally, to be a blessing to others. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, this is God speaking, and him who dishonors you will oh, curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The whole reason that, that God called Israel, we often forget this, the whole reason he called Israel in the first place was to be a blessing to others, to those who had never heard the name of Yahweh before. Now, if you only read the New, the Old Testament, this may not be abundantly clear, but as you get into the New, you, you see God's promise getting like, wider and wider in its scope, and its trajectory, and you realize, man, this isn't just for Israel. Like, Israel is there, but they're for the rest of the world. God never chose Israel so they could keep God's blessings to themselves. He actually had to reprimand them for that. Instead, He chose them and set them apart as holy so that He could preserve a line through whom the seed of Eve, a.k.a. the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world, would be born. But this salvation, as the angels announced at Jesus' birth, was for all people, as the Gospel of Luke makes abundantly clear. If you look in the Gospel of Luke and you compare Luke's genealogy to the Gospel of of Matthew, you'll notice something, that, that Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy to Abraham, Luke traces it all the way back to Adam. Why would he do this? Because he is trying to emphasize that Jesus is for everyone, that this Savior of the world is not just for some particular people or some particular group, not even just for the Israelites, he's for the Gentiles too. Again, Walter Brueggemann, he puts it so well, he says, Israel is never permitted to live in a vacuum. It must always live with, for, and among others. And the same is true for us. Like Israel, like Abraham, we are not permitted to live in a vacuum. We must always live with, for, and among others. And by others here, I mean specifically the unreached people in our community who don't yet know Jesus. Right? We are blessed to be a blessing to others. We are blessed to be a blessing to the last and the lost and the least among us. So a good question to ask then is, okay, we're here right now in in Todd County, in Osakis. As we look around, as we survey the landscape, who is that? Who are the last, the lost, the least among us that that we, that I individually, that we as a church could could minister to? A couple of uh, months ago, we had a, a church brainstorming retreat. And it was wonderful. Thank you to everyone, by the way, who came out to that. It was, we got so many good ideas, so much good feedback. I've, I got all the sticky notes. There's like hundreds of them. They're in my office right now to remind me of what we talked about. One of the things I noticed as we asked and wrestled with this exact same question like, who are the last lost, the least among us? Who, who can we minister to? Uh, one particular demographic that was listed and came up again and again was the large Hispanic community in the Long Prairie and Browerville areas. I mean, what would it look like for us as a church to minister to them, to explore avenues of potential outreach? I don't know, (laughs) but is that worth considering? We have been blessed to be a blessing to others. So just to review, God calls Abraham to go into unfamiliar territory to be a blessing to others, and he calls us to take the same journey of discipleship as well. But here's the thing. Even more important than Abraham's journey or our journey is the journey of the Son of God from heaven to earth, who left heaven behind to rescue a world that didn't even know that it needed rescuing. Like Abraham, Jesus journeyed into the heart of the promised land and ended up at a tree. For Abraham, it was the tree of Morah. For Jesus, it was the tree of the cross. But unlike Abraham, Jesus died at that tree, crucified for the sins of the whole world, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, as we recently heard, but have eternal life. And like Abraham came and set up his tent, Jesus showed up among us and set up camp. But unlike Abraham, the flesh of Jesus is divine, John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from God, full of grace and truth. And even though the Bible describes Abraham as an example of faith, he was also deeply human. And if you keep reading, you'll see that in the very next verses. Abraham journeys to Egypt where he peddles off his wife, Sarah, as his sister, just to save his own skin, and Sarah ends up being taken into King Pharaoh's harem. And Abraham, he's okay with this. Unlike Abraham, though, Jesus didn't give up his bride to save his own skin. Instead, he sacrificed himself for her, washing and sanctifying her with his own blood. See, unlike Abraham and unlike us, Jesus faithfully completed his journey. That's how much he loves you. And those are the depths he was willing to go to to win you back. So here's just one last truth I want to leave with you today because there's been a lot of law, and that's by design. So here's your gospel nugget. God's call is always coupled with His promise. God's call, God's command is always coupled with His promise. Maybe you notice something unique here in this text about this particular covenant which we call the Abrahamic covenant God's covenant with Abraham This particular covenant is what we call unilateral fancy word that just means one way It doesn't have conditions there aren't any ifs ands or buts like if you uphold your end of the bargain Abraham then then God's going to uphold his there's other covenants called bilateral covenants, but not here. This is unilateral. This is, this is one way. In other words, God's promise will be fulfilled regardless of your performance. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus was. There's no threshold. You must be at least this good to ride the Jesus train because all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace. See, when God makes promises, He always keeps them. God's promise to forgive and to save is dependent only upon His love and faithfulness. My hope and my prayer is that you would find yourselves believing and trusting in this good news this morning. Jesus loves you. He forgives you. And he is the only one who will come through for you. As it says in Acts 4:12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. God's call is always coupled with his promise. And his promise is for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Abraham. We thank you for this example of how you call Abraham to go into unfamiliar territory, God, to be a blessing to others. And we wrestle with that. We confess, God, that we, like Abraham, fail in so many ways. We ask your forgiveness for that, God. We we pray that you would work repentance in our hearts in a